Well, Happy New Year, church. The Idaho potato has fallen. And 2022 is here. Do anybody remember last year where they couldn't even get things to fall right? If there was anything that said 2020, it was the fact that even the Idaho potato had issues. They had finally had to kick stuff. It was amazing. And so, hey, we're here, 2022. And as you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, I've got a question for you. And I love, I've always been one of those guys that ask what if questions. Some people ask why, and I ask that a lot, but a lot of times, I I can't help, I'm just a visionary, I'm looking for the next thing, I'm always asking, what if we, whatever, and you can fill in the blank. I got a what if question, what if 2022 was one of the most significant years of growth when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ? What if 2022 was one of the most significant years of of involvement in the mission that Christ has called you to? And what if 2022 was one of the most significant years of understanding who, who it is that God has called you to be? What if, as the people of God, we could grasp our identity and our calling? Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what God has called us to as a church. And so I'll just say this, if this is maybe your first Sunday here at Grace, you actually picked a fantastic Sunday to show up. It's going to be, this is really going to be foundation. You're going to hear a lot about um, who God has called us to be, what he's doing here at Grace. Um, obviously, we have our Next Steps classes coming. We'll be talking more about that. But, but I, I've, I've just been asking these what-if questions uh, just in my prayer time, my study time over the last little bit. Now... Anybody know what this is right here? Like if you do not know what it is that I'm holding, kids, this is one of the greatest video gaming systems of all time. This right here, it might be pixelated, the graphics, but man, these games are amazing. Games like Tecmo Bowl, Duck Hunt, Remember that one? Like, you never could get that gun to work right. You finally walked all the way up the screen, and you're shooting the, right, like your, your guns are pressed against the screen. This is just the granddaddy, as long as, I, as far as I'm concerned, of all video gaming systems, the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, they didn't have discs or, or anything like that. They had these game cartridges. Right here, I have one of the greatest games of all time, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, and like normal, it got stuck. And so you pull it out, and do you remember when you would play the games on this Nintendo, when there would be a glitch? Remember what you would do? Come on, man. You guys are with me. You would pull out the cartridge and... You know, like, like a 13-year-old's orange pop-flavored sticky breath is going to do anything, but you were convinced that if you blew the dust out of this, man, this thing was going to work, and you put it back in. Now, here's the deal. You know, if you didn't have the code, you didn't save uh, your work. There was no, like, cloud, like digital cloud. Like, Amazon wasn't even, you know, invented yet. Like, you, you know, the, the only clouds we had were, like, the clouds outside, and so... If you didn't back it up, like when you pulled that out, you just had to start over. And so you would, you would do this like four times, blow the dust out, put it back in, start, and if you still had glitches, you would finally get so frustrated that if you were like me anyway, you would not only hit the reset button once, but multiple times. You're like... And you were convinced, literally, man, they sold us. I don't even know if that button worked. 
Like I know that it, I don't know if it really helped anything other than just erase everything that you'd done up to that point. But it was great, but you'd hit the reset button and it would take you back to square one. Now here's the thing, I, I, used, I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing for my message. I want us to think about our church and imagine that we have, that we are the equivalent of a Nintendo Entertainment System video gaming console. And I, I'll, I'm going to just tell you, like, if you, if this is your first time here to Grace Bible Church, can I just, I'm going to say something that probably pastors aren't supposed to say. We are not a perfect church. Like, I'm just telling you right now, we got weirdos that attend here. And, and like, if you can't figure out who they are, I'm not going to tell you. But if you can't figure it out, you're probably there. But, but anyway, um, no, I, I'm just saying, hey, we're, we're not, you don't have a perfect pastor. Like, if, you, if you're looking like the model perfection, sorry. I mean, you just get what you get. You know what I'm saying? Suckers. And uh, so, this is just the way it goes. But my, my, my point is this. We're not a, a perfect church, and, and, but th- there is no such thing as a perfect church. If you find a perfect church, let them be. You're going to screw them up. So, don't, th- there's no such thing as a perfect church. And what happens is many times, just because we're humans and, and dude, even though, man, we, we have people that are saved, transformed, all that sort of thing, we're still human. We, we, we get off track. There are times that it is important for us to hit the reset button, if you will. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Acts. And I'm hoping, and I've been praying, that as we're doing so, that this series, if nothing else, would be the hitting of the reset button for Grace Bible Church, and here's why. The mission that God has given us of uniting people with Jesus Christ and helping them take their next steps is not a new mission. In this day and age, it seems like, we were just talking about this about music the other night. Uh, I can't remember what we were watching. I, I love country music. I, I'm just gonna tell you right now. I just, you know, Southern God. I'm just, that's, that's who I am. That's how, I, and so we were talking about, you know, con, con, you can listen to country music and, and I'm telling you, George Strait's still good today. I'm, I, I can listen to it. It's 40 years ago. And it's like, you know, like we were talking about my kids, how pop music, it, it changes. You know, what's popular yesterday is not popular today. And what's popular today won't be popular tomorrow. It, it seems like we're always looking for the new thing. I want us to get back to the old paths. Because the mission that we've given, we don't need to chase a new thing. In fact, as we're going to see... Actually, what we need to do to, to be all about who God has called us to be and to do what God has called us to do, we actually need to get back to the old things instead of looking for something new. And so over the time, I, over the time that we have as we go through the series, this is just going to be kind of a foundational thing, getting back to, to what God's called us to be. And so here in, in, in Acts, we're going to pick up our reading in Acts, and, and if you don't know this, just, this is actually the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So like if, if you read in the New Testament, there's the Gospel of Luke, um, what, what you got to know, my understanding, I read this on the internet and everything on the internet's true, so I'm sure this is true, um, but because but I was wondering, it's like, why, why didn't Luke just put everything together? Well, scrolls were a certain length, and so that's why if you read the Gospels, the Gospels are all about the same length, and it's because you kind of get to the place, you run out of scroll, and you got to put the period, and, and so what Luke did was he had one scroll, that, that he wrote to a guy by the name of Theophilus, and he's explaining the, the life of Christ and the, the beginning of the church. And then he starts this new scroll, and it's what we have here 
called Acts, or if you look at your Bible, it'll say the Acts of the Apostles. And what we're going to see is we could actually also say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be talking about that over the next little bit. But, but, but Luke picks up his writing, and he's actually, he's, I mean, if you go to the, especially the last half of the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, he, he's actually bridging the gap and preparing us for what he's going to write here. And so there's some details here that you'll understand the context better if you read the last part of Luke. But he says, in the first book of Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, so real quick, there were 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus walked out of the tomb. There were 40 days in which he was appearing. He was doing miracles, signs, that sort of thing. And so this is actually giving us a little context here. There this is actually the last of those 40 days, what we're getting ready to read about here. And so Luke is actually, the thing I love about Luke, he was an excellent historian. He actually puts specific names, specific places, just so we can, man, know that what we have here, it's, it's, it's verified historically. He says that while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, you'll read that in, in Luke, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then we get into verse six, and he brings it, here's, here's where everything starts, verse six, so when they come together, and again, at the end of Luke, he'll, he'll, he'll tell you where they've come together and all, all that. But he, they, they've come to the top of a mountain, and Jesus is getting ready to lead them, leave them. They, they don't know this for sure, but when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I want you to keep your Bibles open, and I, I, just because I'm a history geek, and I, I want to make sure that we understand context, I, that, that question is an interesting question that, like, if we don't know it. We'll just like skip right on by that. But this is, written at a, this is written at a specific point in history. In fact, I was just talking to Pastor Leroy. I love how Galatians talks about when the fullness of time had come. It's talking about how Jesus showed up. There, there, there was no accident when it came to God's plan that Jesus showed up when he did, that things happened when they did. So we need to understand what's going on historically. So the biggest, baddest empire of all time, the Roman Empire, is in power right now. And they are, you talk about a world superpower, they are a world superpower. Among all the many nations that they, that they had conquered uh, included Judea, and they, uh, they conquered Judea in 63, uh, 63 BC, this was before Christ. And, and when the Romans would, would conquer a country, um, they came in fast, they came in hard, they came in with a show of force, they did not mess around. In fact, they were brutal. They, they established their dominance and, and they wanted to squelch any idea that a, per, that, that a nation might have that we can resist Rome. They dealt with them swiftly and severely. I'm not going to get into all the history, but if you look at Judean history, Jewish history, leading up to the birth of Christ, it's a bloodbath. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that's coming on. The, the, the Jews, you, you can say what you want, man, they were a scrappy bunch of people. You weren't going to push them around. And, and so there is, man, there, there, there's a lot of war, and, and man, it, it is brutal. In fact, there is, there, if you read Roman history, um, they, they talk about the governor of Syria who oversaw uh, 
you know, all, you know, Judea. Uh, Herod the Great would have reported to him. Um, Listen, man, he came in and just, there was a a certain event that took place. Uh, He wiped out, he had his soldiers wipe out. It was like 2,700 men, women, and children just to make sure that they didn't get get any ideas of of an uprising. Julius Caesar, who was the dictator of of Rome, uh, he had been assassinated. And a few, uh, several years later, they set him up and they declared him to be a god. And so what Rome would do is they would actually establish temples. Wherever they conquered countries, they would establish temples and, or they would co-opt existing religions and temples and try to get them to worship Caesar as God. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts and you read through even Paul's letters, you'll see different references to worshiping Caesar as God. The Jews weren't going to have anything of this. They, they were, uh, they're all into monotheism. They served the one true God, the great I am. And so one of the things that they did when they came to Jerusalem, they went to the Jewish temple. They actually brought in uh, images of Caesar and offered sacrifices there at the temple. And this, you talk about fury. The Jews, man, revolted. And this was actually just, this was just before the birth of Christ. They brutally massacred massacred Pontius Pilate, we know him from the death of Christ, he oversaw this, it was a brutal takedown of, of, of the Jews. And, and again, they killed uh, well over a thousand. It was so bad that actually Pontius Pilate was put on notice by Rome. They said, you're actually causing too much trouble. That's, that's how bad it was. So I, I want us to grab this context. This, it, when, when, the Jew, when the disciples are asked this question, they're, they're good Jews, right? They... It's not just that they hate the fact that they've been, that they're under the thumb of another kingdom, though they hated that. It's the fact they had a visceral hatred. They, they had lost friends and family to the brutality of the Roman Empire. They hated them. And they knew, like every good Jewish, Jewish kid knew, they'd been trained, there's a Messiah coming. There's a deliverer coming. We talked a little bit about that during our Christmas series. There is a Messiah that's on his way. And so when Jesus shows up, in fact, if you, uh, Matthew 16, we'll actually be uh, looking at Matthew 16 later today. In Matthew 16, Ma- uh, Jesus is with his disciples. They've been together now for several months, maybe uh, a couple of years. They're in Philippi. They're this very unique where they are. There actually is a massive cliff with a bunch of caves behind them. And it's said that the, it's actually called the gates of hell. It's where... Uh, you know, they say demons dwell and that sort of thing. And as, as he's, he's gathered there in this very wicked locale, Jesus asked his disciples, he's, he asked, he said, what's the word on the street? Who do, who do people say that I am? And so they, they said, well, you know, some are saying you're John the Baptist because at this point, John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. And, and they said, you're, you know, John the Baptist. They think that he's come back and that's you. Some people say that you're Elijah, come back. Some people say that you're Jeremiah or or another prophet. And then Jesus takes it a step further. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And out of all disciples, Peter says, well, you are, you're Christ. Now, hold on a second. When when he says he's Christ, the son of the living God, some of us think that Christ is Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. It's not his last name, right? It's not a family name. It's a title. It means Messiah. 
So when, when Peter says, you are Christ, the son of the living God, he's saying, you are the answer to all these prayers we've been praying to, to overthrow the, you know, you're, you're going to deliver us from Roman rule, in essence. He, might, he didn't say those words, but he's saying, you are the Messiah. And Jesus affirmed, he said, you're right. He said, but you didn't come up with that yourself. He said, God the Father gave that to you. And so here's the thing, they believe, at least at some level, the Messiah, the deliverer has showed up and that's why they're asking this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, when they're asking this question, it's revealing the expectations of these guys. And can I just say this? I am hoping that over the next several weeks, our expectations are revealed through this series. It's very important for us to look at our expectations. If our expectations are off, we're, always, we're going to miss what God is up to because it doesn't fit our expectations. And see, the disciples, they had this expectation of Christ that when the, you're the Messiah, you're the deliverer. When you show up, you're, you're actually going to restore. You see that word? You're going to restore the kingdom back to us. You're going to give us a political territorial kingdom that's going to be exclusive to Jews. We are going to be in control. Again, when they said, is, is this the time? And they're, they're saying right now, they're expecting this to happen immediately. It's like, okay, we love the miracles. The whole thing of you walking out of the tomb is awesome because if, if death can't beat the Messiah, nobody can beat the Messiah. It's like, but come on now. We've waited 40 days. We, we're, we got our swords, man. We are ready to go. Is now the time? And I want you to look how Jesus responded back to them. Because here's the thing. They were sharing the expe their expectations of what they thought would happen. I would actually say they were also sharing their expectations of what they thought should happen. And yet, what they were going to find out is their plans did not align with God's plans. Here's my question, church. What happens when our vision, our expectations, and our plans don't align with God's plans. Can I tell you that there are way too many frustrated Christians who are trying to pound their plan through and what they need to do is understand who it is that God has called us to be, what God has called us to do, and align with his plan. And that's what we're gonna be about because Jesus responds to them and he said this. He said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In essence, he's saying, it's none of your business when it comes to this sort of thing. Let, let the Father worry about the timing. Now, I want you to notice that he did not say he was not going to establish a kingdom here on earth. Because if, if we read the prophets, we understand there is coming a day when Christ is going to reign. And there's a whole lot of thing when it comes to prophecy, that's another series. So he didn't say that. He's just saying, don't get obsessed with the timing and I think the church still likes to get obsessed with about these things. He turned things around and he revealed the mission. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into heaven? That's, that's like an obvious answer to that question. Like, dude, I've never seen a person just like go up in the air. But anyway, I say, I say that. He's, they're going to they're gonna share something that they need to know. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way 
as you saw him go into heaven. Well, here's what, here's what Jesus did. Before he took off, he, he like totally turned things upside down for these guys. They're looking for a political revolution. He's like, no, 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 here's the deal. Here's the mission. Not only that, I'm not gonna lead this mission. You're gonna carry out this mission. He takes off, and then he gives them the promise of these two, two guys standing there that I'm coming back. And so I, I wonder if for the disciples, all of a sudden, all the things that Jesus had been talking about, the parables that he'd been talking about, the, 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 the king that would go and then come back, that, that we see, if they're like, hey, he's talking about this moment. I'm not sure that they got it until later. All I know, though, is that at the end of Luke, it says that when they heard this, they rejoiced. They went back to Jerusalem with rejoicing. And they had rejoicing because they had clarity. They knew what they were called to. Jesus had not only clarified the mission, he had promised a helper, the Holy Spirit, and he had also said this, I'm coming back. The story isn't over. I'm gonna say, in essence, I don't know what it's, how you say it in, in, uh, in Hebrew, but the best is yet to come was what he was saying. And so they come back, they prepare, and we're going to get into that. Now, here's the deal. I, I had to split this message into two messages. I mean, we'd have been here forever. Like, I, I was so fired up going through this. I, I called the other guys and I said, I don't know about you guys. I said, I've got to cut, I've got to cut this message. Because, man, next week we're going to jump into, man, the, the Holy Spirit, what that means. And, and I get so excited talking about that. So next week, like, if you have ever skipped church it is not the week to, do. like next Sunday, you don't do that. Like, like if you're watching online, you're like, I was just tired. Dude, no excuses. Show up because listen, next week's gonna be epic. But, 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 but today, I just had to lay this foundation because there were two very important things that as a church, we need to understand. He revealed our identity. He also revealed our mission. So here's the deal. What, what I'm sharing is not groundbreaking. Like you're not gonna walk away saying, dude, he hit us with some new truth that was crazy. Like, no, you're gonna like, dude, I know that, but here's my thing. There's a difference between knowing something intellectually and grasping something and responding in faith because faith does not become faith until faith is in action. So here's the deal. First thing that, 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 that he shares, I wanna go back to Matthew 16 because he's talking to his disciples and a lot of times we're like, yeah, man, he, he told these, these 11 guys that are hanging out with him what to do. So, man, I hope they did a good job. Oh no, it, it goes beyond the disciples because what he was doing, he wasn't just giving a command for his followers, which if we are, if, if we are following Christ, man, this, this applies to us. He, he wasn't just giving a command, he was actually prophesying what he was gonna do. So it's a combination. It's a combination. He's commanding, but he's also saying, this is going to happen. Now, in Matthew 16, I want to go back to when Jesus was in Philippi. And when he was in Philippi, I told you they were at the bottom of this, this uh, cliff uh, called the gates of hell. He asked, who do, you, you know, who do you say I am? Peter responds, you're Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you're right. And then he said this in verse 18 of Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I, I want us to grasp something because the first thing I want us to walk away understanding is this. I want us to understand, church, who we are. Many times, we, we live in America, we value individualism, rugged individualism. Listen to me. There's a collective element of this that's very, very important. Listen to me. We are called to be the church. We're not called to be individual assassins for Jesus or whatever. We 
are called to be the church. Now, there are at least five different definitions for church, and, and, and so I want to make sure that, that we have a shared definition. We can be using the same word and have totally different definitions. So I want to make sure, as we begin this series, anytime you hear me talking about the church, which is going to be a lot over the next several weeks, that you understand we're all on the same page, okay? So there are five ways we can define the church. Four of them, and I say, I say five, there are at least five, there are probably more, but there are four that I'm gonna put out that I, I don't think are wrong, that I don't think are right. They're the first four. First, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, was he talking about a building? Because a lot of times we define the church as a building. I'm gonna go to church. Hey, can you guys drop something by the church? Can you go to the church? We think the church is an address. Our address here is 1415 West Lone Star. When Jesus said this, was he talking about a building? Well, no, he wasn't talking about a building. There was no such thing as a church building. They had the temple. They thought that was, the, that was where everybody went to, to worship. That was gonna be torn down in just a few years. It wasn't until the 300s when Constantine became uh, emperor of, of Rome, he saw the growing influence of Christianity. And instead of resisting it, he's like, man, I'm gonna co-opt it. He converted to Christianity, and then he set up all of these houses of worship, and literally, he actually screwed up the definition of church. Listen, to, to, to be the church is, is so much bigger than, a, than, a, than a, a building. So like, if you wrote down building, go ahead and just draw a line through it. Wrong definition, right? I'm not talking about that. Is the church a Sunday morning event? Like, what's going on right here? It's like, hey, you know what? We need to get to the, the 10 o'clock service. We gotta go to church. No, 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 no listen. This, there's something powerful that happens when we gather as a family of God. There's something powerful that happens as we remind each other that we serve a risen Savior. Something powerful that happens as we worship together, we love each other, we testify to the goodness of God, we pray together, we drink coffee, whatever. I mean, this is good. Okay, so my... What I'm getting ready to say here, I don't want to de-emphasize what takes place on Sunday morning because it's very important. I want to decentralize this because this hour a week or whatever it is, depends on how long I preach, this is not the church. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates will not, will not prevail against it, he wasn't saying, I'm gonna put together a, a, a church service order that's gonna be amazing. Those announcements are gonna be killer today. No. He wasn't talking about that at all. So, so if you, you wrote that down, I want you to go ahead and just cross it out. That's not it. Could it be an organization? I'm gonna, I'm gonna put together an organization, man. It's gonna be amazing. Now listen to me. There is an organization element. There is a local body here. We're called Grace Bible Church. But can I tell you, we are not the church. Like when you get to heaven, all that we read about, it, it's, it's gonna be more than just for people at Nampa Grace. And you're like, Oh, man, are you kidding me? Yes, yes, right? We're part of a body that is diverse. It's so amazing, man. We got, we got people speaking different languages right now. They're, they're preaching the gospel, and, and, and it looks different. All of that sort of thing. In fact, man, we probably, if we travel around to different churches, we go around the world, even when the, there's a faithful proclamation, we get, we get torqued because they don't do things the way we do things. Who cares? It's not about an organization. So cross it out. That's not what it's, that's not what it's about. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, was he talking about a political movement? Because can I tell you that there's a lot of people today that 
probably don't even attend church, but they think that church is more about politics than they are anything else. As I'm going to pause here, because I, am, I have the distinct honor and privilege of pastoring a lot of people that are making a difference in the public square, whether it be state, on a state representative level, whether it be a local government. Man, I, you guys, you don't know how blessed we are to live in the state of Idaho, to have some of the people uh, in office that we do. I am very, very thankful for that. But they will tell you what I will tell you. Legislation doesn't change the human heart. As important as it is that we vote, as important as it is that we stand for truth and, and, and all of that sort of thing, I can't legislate belief. I can't legislate transformation. Jesus did not intend for the church to be a political movement. If you, if you wrote that down, just cross it out. Here's, here's what the church is. The church is, it comes from this Greek word called ecclesia, and it means the called out ones. The church is nothing more than this. It's a body made up of people. The church is a body made up of people, but it's a body that's not just not made up of, of any people. He's referring to a body made up specifically of those who have repented of their sins, who have trusted and who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, Christ's work on the cross, are, are walking in obedience to him, who, who have acknowledged him as Lord of their lives. It's, it's talking about the called out ones. We are, we are not like everybody else. We are called out. Our faith is in Christ. If you identify with what I just said, congratulations, you're part of the church. That's who you are. In fact, you and I are who Jesus was talking about when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is time that we come back to this biblical understanding of what it means to be the church. If not, we're going to settle for merely going somewhere, going through some rituals, going to service, doing some good deeds, and think, hey, we're good. You see why it's important that we have a shared definition? Your definition of church impacts and colors your understanding of your mission as the church. If you're all about, hey, let's get a few professionals to go do the work of God. Listen, man, we're in trouble because I'm, I, I have this much talent, like, and as great as my team is, we only have a limited amount of talent, talent abilities and capacity. No, it's much bigger. It's all of us. It's all of us. And so it's important that we understand who we are, but it's also important as I lay this foundation to make sure as we, as we talk more about this and we start talking application that we understand what it is that we're called to do. It's very simple. We just saw it here in Acts chapter one. Jesus said, you are called to be my witnesses. We are called to witness for Christ. It's very simple. Because we want to make the mission a lot more complex. I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta jump through these hoops, I gotta have this preparation, gotta go to seminary, gotta do, no. That, listen, can I tell you, he did not call seminary graduates to do his work. He called ordinary people like you and me. Listen, I am an Indiana redneck, okay? I was raised a Hoosier. I don't know what a Hoosier, actually, somebody told me that a Hoosier is somebody traveling from West Virginia to Michigan and their car breaks down in Indiana and you're a Hoosier. I don't know what that means, but that's me, right? Okay? So I, I'm an Indiana redneck and I'm, I have zero problem with that. I, I, I'll throw on a suit coat from time to time. I can dress up and all that sort of thing, but at heart, I just am who I am, Okay? I am so glad that God did not wait until I had to be whatever to use me. 
What I found in following Jesus Christ is he can, dude, he's used a donkey to talk before. And by the way, that wasn't the last time he used a donkey to talk. I'm just saying. The reality is this, that God will use us and he's given us this mission to be witnesses for Christ. Now next week, I told you, we're gonna look at the powerful promise. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. But I, I just wanna talk about this just for the, the few minutes that we have left because I think a lot of times we're like, man, church is not making a difference. We're not making inroad. We're not seeing change. Everything's dark. Everything's whatever. We can't, we can't speak up the way we used to speak up. I just don't, I, I'm just telling you right now, I don't buy into that. 2022, like if you're looking for the, the guy that's gonna lead you to be a bunch of sheep that we're gonna put our heads in a circle and just huddle up and wait for the bomb to hit us or wait for Jesus to come back, you got the wrong pastor. That is not what we're called to do, right? I have nothing against the, the song Kumbaya, except if we're like, let's just do this until Jesus, I'm not, we're not gonna do that, right? We have a mission. And you're like, well, man, man, don't you see what's going on? It's terrible in America, this world. You know, we got COVID, we got politics, we got this, we got that. Listen, listen, our mission is not dependent on who's in the White House. Our mission is not dependent on, on what pandemic is sweeping this country. Our mission has nothing to do, it is, I'm getting ready to preach it. It is time for us to stop using COVID as an excuse to not be in church, to not gather, and to not make a difference. Listen, I, and, and I'm saying this, listen, is, is COVID a real thing? Absolutely. I've got two cousins right now that I'm praying for. You guys you need to pray for Tony McCrary. Tony's sister and her husband are on the vent right now, and unless there's a miracle of God, I don't think I'll make it. Listen, COVID's a real thing. Don't get me wrong. Listen, and we need, we need to be smart, we need to be safe. Like if our entire staff gets, gets COVID or whatever, we will shut down for a couple Sundays to get us healthy, okay? I, but what I'm saying, we gotta stop using COVID as an excuse to stop living life and to stop carrying out the mission to which we have been called. God has called us to be witnesses. And you're like, well, it's dark. Can I tell you, there were 400 years of silence. Remember us talking about that? 400 years of silence. They didn't have a word from God. And, and, and you're like, well, you know, God's just not up to anything. Yes, he was. We don't have a word from God, but we do have recorded human history. Because in that 400 years of silence, God was active. You know what he did? He allowed a guy by the name of Alexander the Great to come to power in Greece. And for this, this it was one of the first world superpowers. They started conquering everything. Alexander the Great got to the place, he said, he, he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. Poor guy, I feel bad for him. Like, what am I gonna do with my time? You know, kick up your feet a little bit, Alex. I mean, you've done pretty good. But, but here's what he did. To, to make sure that, that everybody came under the control of, of Greece, he instituted a common language, Koine Greek. In fact, the disciples, a lot of the culture, they would have been familiar. You had to be familiar. It was literally the language of the world, if you will. Greece was taken down. Rome came into power. I've already talked talk to you about the brutality. There was a lot of terrible, terrible things they did, but there were two really important good things they did. First of all, they, they uh, instituted something called Pax Romana, and it just meant peace of Rome. And what they did was they actually began to patrol the major highways, because it was a major issue. You could not travel those highways without fear of being attacked and all that sort of thing. In fact, you read through the Old Testament, that was a major issue. 
if you were, I think it's Nehemiah or Ezra, they actually were praying for traveling protections because of the robbers that, that were known to be along the highways. The Romans, it wasn't that robbers didn't exist, but they began to patrol. They were very intentional so you could travel safely. The third thing that they did was this. They actually improved the transportation system. They thought that they were doing it because they were moving goods from one, one part of the kingdom to the other part of the empire and, and so on and so forth. But I want you to catch this. In 400 years, God used what rulers thought were their ideas to prepare them for his purposes. A common language, ways for them to travel without fear of being attacked, and improved transportation systems. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, I'm here to tell you the church exploded. The church absolutely exploded. In fact, I, we have this, this video I wanna share real quick that shows what took place as the believers men experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and they embraced their identity and they embraced their calling. I want you to watch what took place as the gospel began to spread. This is so stinking awesome. <laughs> Reformation happens, begins to spread. First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the Third Great Awakening, revival after revival. It spreads and spreads and spreads. And what we have here is 2015 AD. We're in 2022 AD. And I want you to know that the story isn't over. The church is still the church. The mission is still the mission. And we can settle for a watered down definition of church that is a political movement, a building, a service, or an organization. Or we can recognize that among all of the different instruments that God could have used to reach the world, he took a group of people that were dead, spiritually dead in their sins, were broken, were jacked up. And yet God in his grace and his providence to his glory in heaven and hell itself, take, took people like you and me. And he said, I will take people who are spiritually dead and I will put a new heart in them and I will use them and the gates of hell will not prevail. Church, we have an identity. It's not in politics. It's not in fear-based manipulation. It's not in being cool. It's not in being hip. It's, guys, it is, we have an identity. We are a body. 
We're a body of believers. We have our issues. But can I tell you, it's going to take every one of us to be part of this. Because while we see the reach of the gospel, what we know is the gospel, that what, what we see with that white, there are witnesses in all of these different areas. Are there, are there areas in, in, in which the gospel still needs to go? Absolutely. But can I tell you, we're still called to take the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Don't wait till you finish seminary to be a witness for Christ. Don't wait until you join a church to become a witness for Christ. If you have been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've been set free from your sin and you're following Jesus, you have a mission, you have a calling. And the only thing that is keeping us back is not the potential and it's not the power of the Holy Spirit, it's our willingness to embrace this mission. Church, I'm convinced that it is time for us to hit the reset button and to come back to what really matters. And over the next several weeks, we're gonna be looking at this. Very interesting, I came across this, this statistic uh, two weeks ago. Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, they have tracked every single person that responded to an invitation at a Billy Graham crusade. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds, actually millions uh, over the course of, of, of his ministry. Fascinating. 94% of those who responded to an invitation gave their life to Christ, made a profession of faith. 94% of them said that they had a family member or a friend who was a believer who had told them something about Christ, had told them their story. 94% of the hundreds of thousands. Now listen, are there, there's 6% that God just miraculously got hold of their heart, they showed up out of curiosity or something. 94%, can I tell you, God's, God's method of reaching the world until Jesus comes back is the same. The mission has not changed. We don't need something new. We need to get back to what is old. We need to get back to the mission. And guys, this week, I've got two things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to ask God as you pray. God, what does it look like for me to be part of your church. What does it look like for me to be part of your church? What is, what is my part in your church? I, I can't tell you, I can give you ideas. We'll talk about things later, but I, I don't know that. You begin to pray that. But number two, I, I'm gonna have you pray a prayer that I know God's gonna answer. Lord, would you give me an opportunity today? I want you to pray this every single day. Lord, give me an opportunity today to be a witness for Christ. And we're gonna talk about this later. It doesn't mean you have to preach a sermon. Lord, please don't do that. Like they're like, dude, don't ever talk to that guy again. That's what they're gonna say. Don't do that. What, you know what it means to witness for Christ? Talk about who you were. Talk about who Christ is, what he did, and how your life has changed. Nobody cares about what you know until they see the difference that it's made in your life. Guys, I'm convinced as we, we fulfill our mission, as we live out the Great Commission, and we, feel, we, we live out the great commandment to love God with everything we have and our neighbors ourselves. Guys, there's still a purpose until Jesus comes back and we get to be part of that. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you so much for your incredible calling. We are not worthy. We'd be the first to tell you that. But God, for some reason, you, you have saw fit. You created us in your image. And then you have called all of us who are saved and set free, not because of our works, but because of Christ's work. You've called us to be part of your mission, to be part of your kingdom, to carry out this mission until Jesus comes back. 
And so God, I don't wanna be a church that just gathers to do some cool things or to have some fun or sing some songs. God, I wanna be about what you've called us to be about. And so God, may we understand that yes, the church does gather, but God, may we understand that the church leaves and God, as the church goes, I pray that you would allow us to be those witnesses, to live out the mission that you've given every one of us. And for what you're going to do, even over the next few weeks as we study through Acts, God, and what you're going to do as we pray for the opportunities and you answer that prayer, I wanna thank you for the fruit that's going to come, knowing that you're gonna send that fruit. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. thanks for being here today, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.